Good evening, this is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every Sunday night at this same time, Bible Crossfire. We take your Bible questions, your comments, um, on any Bible topic. We do limit it to the Bible as the topic, not politics, not sports, uh, nor anything else like that. But we limit it to the Bible. And, of course, when you have a Bible question, we're going to do our very best to answer it. We may have to say we don't know. We'd like to think we can give you a Bible verse for every Bible question you have. But remember, the way we're going to settle the issues is with the Bible, not what we think, not what we want, not what the majority says, not what's politically correct. Necessarily, what God says in the Bible is how we're going to solve or answer any questions. Just so you know that going on, going in. Uh, the number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, if you want to get on the air, is 877-655-6755. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about Bible types. We've been through three or four or five of them, and I thought we'd talk about Colossians 2, 11 through 13, because it supplies us with another interesting type or analogy. Here's how that passage reads. In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Here, the type is Old Testament circumcision. And the antitype is not baptism. Sometimes people get confused. They think the antitype here is baptism. Baptism is New Testament circumcision. That's not actually what it says. This New Testament circumcision, according to this text, is made without hands. And water baptism is certainly done with hands. In the Old Testament, here's how the type works here. In the Old Testament, the foreskin was cut off in circumcision and in the New Testament parallel is that our sins are cut off or put off, according to verse 11. That is, our sins are forgiven, according to verse 12. Now, does that happen when a sinner is baptized? Yes, that's when forgiveness occurs. But baptism is not New Testament circumcision here. The cutting off or the forgiveness of sins at baptism is New Testament circumcision. And that's a very important distinction to make, especially when debating things like infant baptism. So the type is the Old Testament circumcision that was done to little eight-day-old boys, uh, the physical circumcision. The antitype is the cutting off of sins, the forgiveness of sins in the New Testament. That's what it says here. Uh, you're, it, when it starts talking about the New Testament circumcision, it says it's the putting off of the body of sins, and it continues on to say, having forgiven you all trespasses. That's New Testament circumcision. You know, James 2, 24 and 25 might be talking about a type. It says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. Perhaps this is a type in that a parallel is made between something physical in the Old Testament, Rahab being saved physically by what she did, by her works. That was a physical salvation for her. And the antitype is something spiritual in the Old Testament, 
salvation by works spiritually. John from Toronto, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, I think it is uh, Matthew seventeen twenty to 22. If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So what, uh, why, why, can't, uh, why can't we move mountains? Well, for one thing, the days of the miraculous gifts have ceased, 1 Corinthians 13. If you remember that passage, John, in 1 Corinthians 13, which says no, prophecy will fail, tongues shall cease, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. What the point of, I don't necessarily have time to go into it in detail here, but the point of 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 13, is that the miraculous gifts, their two primary purposes were to reveal God's revelation. Remember, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would guide the apostles into all the truth, John 16, 13. And then the second thing was to confirm that revelation. I mean, how do you know which guys walking around are really revealing God's New Testament law, you know, through prophecy, for example? Unless they could do a miracle, you wouldn't know. So it was to reveal the New Testament law, confirm the New Testament law. But once the New Testament law was fully revealed and then confirmed, everybody knew which 27 books should be in the New Testament. The need for the miraculous gifts uh, was done, was was gone, and that's the point of 1 Corinthians 13. John, I might could uh, send you uh, 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 maybe a, an in-depth article where I prove or try to prove that the miraculous gifts have ceased according to 1 Corinthians 13. Would you be interested in receiving that? Sure. Well, uh, could I, I ask one more? Yes, you sure can. Okay. Uh, in regards to the, if two or three of two or three of you come to me in my name and ask for something that will be given. Yeah, that's, I think, Matthew eighteen nineteen. Again, I say to you that if two or three of you agree on earth as touching anything that you shall ask, it shall be done for them, my Father, which is in heaven. Is that what the verse you're talking about? That, that's correct. Uh-huh. So what do you want to know about that it's, uh, in particular, John? Uh, okay, so read that to me one more time, please. Okay. Again, Jesus speaking says, Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as preaching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. Okay, so in that situation, why can't uh, uh, something be done like to heal a child or something? Okay. Well, for one, the miraculous days of the miraculous gifts are ceased. But we do pray for children to be healed. They're just not going to be healed through the laying on of hands through men, like we read about in 1 Corinthians 13 and those miraculous gifts. But God can still heal people. We pray for the sick all the time. But, but maybe this is what you're getting at. God doesn't answer every prayer yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes, and sometimes the answer is later. He's not going to answer every press, every prayer for healing. Yes, because he's already said the curse of sin is death. People are going to physically die. And if he were to answer every prayer, yes, <laughs> that they would be healed, and he did that, then that would mean his the curse of physical death would, would be uh, counteracted. 
You follow what I'm saying? Uh, not, not really, because that doesn't make any sense if he's going to choose one prayer over another. Like in a situation yeah. where you have a child, child in an abusive situation, is he going to choose? Is he going to choose to heal some some other person over you know bringing a child to safety? Yeah, probably. If you knew everything that God knew going on in the background, it would make really good sense. We just don't know everything that's going on. Kenny from Washington, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Oh yeah, I'm on First uh, Kings eighteen twelve. Yeah, I'm turning there. Okay. Verse twelve. Verse twelve. Yeah. Or, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, twelve. Okay, this is about Obadiah finding Elijah. He's walking around, and Obadiah goes, "Oh my gosh, Elijah, you're here!" And Elijah says to Obadiah, "Go get Ahab, bring him back here." So in verse 12, um, um, Obadiah says, And it shall be, I will go away from you, and the Spirit of Jehovah will lift you up where I know not. How did he know that? Well, now, I'm not really familiar with this passage too well, but here's what I think that's saying, Kenny. Okay. All right? Here's what it looks like to me it's saying. Um. He knows that the Spirit of the Lord will carry him away. That's what, what he knows. What does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean he'll disappear? Uh, it's kind of like the rapture. This is this is a hapazo deal. It's kind of like Thomas. When Thomas came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught him up, and he was found at Astos. But did he disappear? What I was going to say is that he didn't know where he was going to go. He just knew he was. Yeah, that's right. Go. My, question, my question is, how did he go? Like, how did Thomas go? Well, Thomas Thomas with the eunuch, you know, he come up out of the water and the spirit of the Lord, that's Harpazo, ca- ca- caught him up and he was found at Astos. How did he get there? Well, am I remembering right that he... he uh... Elijah was caught up. In a Elijah was caught up. Yes, that's right. But he yeah. was seen by a witness, so he did not disappear. Okay, the witness was Elisha, right? That's right, exactly. So in this yeah. passage, how did Obadiah know that the Spirit of the Lord caught him up? How did he know that? Because the Elijah thing happened after this. Well, unless 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 Elijah often was caught up and people couldn't find him. I would say, how did how did Obadiah know that? Wouldn't Obadiah inspired of God? Obadiah was inspired of God. Well, yeah, that's well, that's right. He saved the 50, the 50 prophets. But my ultimate question is. I don't think, because it's, it's about this preacher and rapture deal, I really don't think people disappear. That really doesn't make any sense to me, that a multitude of people disappear, because there's no shadow of it in the Torah, in the Tanakh. There's no shadow of a multitude of people just disappearing. So, so if this is what this is talking about in verse 12, I wouldn't see any problem with Obadiah knowing that Elisha was going to be called up because if Obadiah is inspired of God, God knows the future. 
Now, are you talking about the rapture as it's talked about in First Thessalonians four seventeen? Yeah, yeah, basically. So that says, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. So at the, yeah, this is about the second coming the, of Christ. Yeah, yeah not not yeah. sometime before the second coming or after the second coming. This is talking about at the end of the world, the same time as the resurrection. Matter of fact, it talks about the the resurrection here. That it says yeah. the dead in Christ shall rise first. Sixteen. Then it says in seventeen, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together within the clouds. So. Yes, so they're called yes, up yes. to be with God in yes. the clouds. I, I, so you, I'm not sure so I pre- see any problem with you, that. You, you're pre-trib, right? Uh, you're pre-tribulation. You know, are you talking about the tribulation that we read about in Matthew 24? That happened in, in 70 AD. That's what I think when people are talking about the tribulation. It's in yeah, well, uh, the, the, Matthew 24, 21. Hold on. Let me finish yeah. just a minute. Don't, don't, sure, go sorry. ahead. Matthew twenty four twenty one says there should be great tribulation such as was yeah. not since the beginning of the world. If you notice 13 verses later, it says these things are going to happen in that generation. This generation shall not pass, so all these things shall be fulfilled. So the tribulation, according to that, is something that happened in 70 A.D. Okay? But okay, if you go to yeah. that, that, if you're in that same chapter, it looks like it's talking about something, the rapture. It says there... Uh, in verse 40, this is when we get to the second coming of Christ, which is after verse 35, we're talking about the second coming of Christ. Verse 40, then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken, the other left. That looks exactly what I, like what I read in First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. So, so oh, there is going to be a rapture at the second coming of Christ. The Christians that are alive will be caught up. But that's going to be the end of the world. It's not going to be like left behind where the people, the wicked people keep on living on the earth. That's going to be the end of the world. The earth's going to be burned up at that time, according to Second. Oh, Peter good. 15. Yeah. Yeah. So Go you're, ahead, not, you're not a pre-tribulation person, right? Pre-trib. Remember, like that, the that, way that I answered means, that, that question means... is that the tribulation occurred in 70 AD. It has nothing to do, at least the tribulation in Matthew 24 that's talked about, the great tribulation. It doesn't have anything to do with the second coming of Christ has to do with the destruction yes. of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So yeah, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. That tribulation so, happened almost 2,000 years ago. But now the people who yeah. want to sell books will emphasize that and say, this is a tribulation that's going to happen right before the second coming or in that time frame because they're trying to sell books. They're not getting what they get out of the Bible, though. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I agree I mean, with that. So I, you're you not know, pre-trib. That, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, I'm not really even familiar the pre- with that the, term. The, the pre-trib rapture means you're going to get raptured seven years, or you're going to get raptured before the great tribulation. No, no, I don't no. believe the it. rapture occurs at the yeah. end of the world. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because we are to look for His appearing not three times, but two times: once when He was a baby, and once when He comes back in the air. Two physical comings. That's exactly right. Yeah, so I could see, back to your question in 1 Kings 18, I could see if that's talking about God predicting that Elisha would be caught up. And I'm just not 100% sure of that. But if it is, I don't have any problem with God knowing that ahead of time. Sure, exactly. My my question is, how did Obadiah know it? (laughs) Unless it happened to Elijah in the the past, you know. No, no, no. Oh, but the prophets can all see into the future. That's one of the things a prophet does. He, He... he tells what's going to happen in the future, right? Oh, I see. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when 
I mean, Jesus was a prophet. We're talking about Matthew 24. Yes. He started to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem. That was going to occur 30-something years after he was gone. Yes. Okay? But he, yes, he knew exactly right. how it was going to happen. And, and when the Bible talks about the second coming of Christ, that's a, that's something for the future, two, at least 2,000 years future to when they were writing these books in the New Testament, when they talk about the second mm-hmm. coming of Christ, right? Right. And according to God, it's been two days. Well, I think people misunderstand that passage like in Second Peter three years, about yeah. one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. That that's yeah. not it's not saying maybe what 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 people imply that, but that's not important right now. Appreciate your call, right. Kenny. Thanks a million. Anything else? Okay, bye. Uh, All right, no, have a no, good if evening. I if I get okay. All right, bye. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at eight seven seven six five five six seven five five. You know, we were talking about Bible types. I think 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21 is clearly a Bible type because it uses the word antitype in the New King James Version to describe what goes on in the New Testament. Of course, really, when you see types, normally they're something physical in the Old Testament that illustrates a spiritual truth in the New. And that's exactly what's going on in 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. Uh, let me turn and read that. 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21 says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water or through water, according to the newer translation. That's probably a better translation. Verse 21, the like figure wherein to even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So the thing going on in verse 20 is the salvation of Noah's family physically physically through the water. But then the New King James says there's also an antitype to that, namely baptism, which saves us. So our water baptism is antitype. The Noah's family's physical salvation was the type. Well, what do they have in common? How is one a type of the other? Well, with Noah's family, uh, it involved water and involved a physical salvation. With our baptism, it involves water and it involves a spiritual salvation, a spiritual salvation. We know it's not a physical cleansing because he says baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism, water baptism looks like a bath. If you never heard of water baptism or seen one and you saw it for the first time, it would look like just like somebody taking a bath. And, and Peter's trying to get away from that confusion. No, the important thing of water baptism, it has nothing to do with washing the dirt off the skin like a bath does. It's a spiritual cleansing. It's by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we have the type, the Noah and the eight souls being saved physically through the water. They didn't drown. And we have the antitype, water baptism, through water baptism, we're saved spiritually through the resurrection of Jesus Christ by the blood of Christ. When it says baptism saves us in verse 21, clearly God wouldn't say that. You didn't have to be baptized to be saved. He wouldn't say baptism saves you. You didn't have to be baptized to be saved. Of course he wouldn't. But he's not saying baptism earns your salvation, pays for it. No, it's the death of Christ that earns your salvation. No, baptism is just like belief. Belief doesn't earn your salvation. Your belief and your baptism are just conditions you have to meet in order to be saved by the death of Christ. The death of Christ is what saves us. The belief in baptism are just the conditions we have to meet to be saved. So again, I want to reiterate something I said two or three weeks ago. Something is not a Bible type unless the Bible draws the parallel. 
when we find our own parallels in the Bible, that's not a Bible type. Now, such is not necessarily bad if we identify these as our own parallel speculation to make a teaching point. For example, the Bible tells us Paul had a thorn in the flesh, 2 Corinthians 12.1. But it doesn't tell us what that thorn in the flesh was. There's no problem, if you want to, with guessing what it might have been, just for a teaching point, as long as we identify our suggestion as speculation and not fact. But there's a big difference in inspired parallels and uninspired parallels. Parallels that God makes versus parallels that only humans make. When God makes a parallel, that's a type. When we make a parallel, that's not a type. That's just us making speculating, maybe to make a teaching point. But when God makes a parallel, like the Noah and his family being saved physically through the water and parallel to baptism, water baptism, saving us, that's a God-given type. There's a big difference in that. If you have a Bible question or a comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. Last week, we were talking about exceptions in the Bible, and there was one more exception I didn't get to. John 6:44. no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up the last day. So Calvinists are right that God must draw us to Christ. That's how exceptions work. But the question is, how does the Father draw sinners to Jesus? They're right that God draws us to Jesus, but does he do it through miraculous force? No, verse 45, the very next verse tells us how he does it. It says, it is written in the prophets that they all shall be taught of God. Everyone, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So it's done through teaching, learning not through miraculous force. God the Father draws us to Christ through the teaching and learning of the gospel. We see that in other passages. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 10.17, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it's God's word that is the power to salvation. God doesn't miraculously force us to become Christians. He tries to persuade, persuade us through the Word of God. Jim from Tennessee, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, I was listening to you the other night, two or three nights ago. You had a, uh, was talking about divorce. Right. And you were saying that if you divorced for any reason other than adultery, you would never be saved. And you couldn't. You couldn't be saved and go to heaven if you divorced for any other reason than that. And well, no, that's not exactly I was what young. I said. What I said was, if you divorce and remarry, here's what Jesus said, whoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. So if you divorce for any reason other than fornication and remarry, second marriage is adulterous. Now, you can go to heaven, you, just like any other sin. You have to repent. You're about to terminate that adulterous marriage. It won't do just to say I'm sorry, and then, and then while you're all the while while you're planning on continuing to commit the adultery, you follow me, Jim? Okay. I, well, I misunderstood you. Yeah. yeah. I married when I was 19. Have, I divorced when I was 21, and you know, I mean, and there was no adultery. I just, you know, I, I just, I, I wanted out. I didn't want to be a, I didn't want to be married. Okay. So I, I divorced, and. I've never remarried, but I understood you to say the other night that you, if you divorced for any reason other than adultery, you couldn't be saved. 
Well, you can't be until you repent. Jim, don't you think if you divorced her for an unscriptural reason, you need to repent of that, and therefore that would mean seek reconciliation? I've done that. I've done that. I've asked her to forgive me. Uh, You know what I mean? I've I've given my life to the Lord five, five years ago. And but when I listened to you the other night, I thought, "Wow, here I am. I've I've given my life to the Lord, and it doesn't make any difference Jim, what I do from here on. I, Jim, I'm never going to be. I, I got to go off the air, Jim. I got to go off the air. Thank you. If you have a, if you would like to have a free one hour phone Bible study with the, with me at your convenience, I want you to call or text me at two five six six eight two nine seven five three. Again. If you want to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, sometime at your convenience, whenever it'd be good for you, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Appreciate you listening tonight. Appreciate all those good calls, sincere calls. Continue to listen every week at this same time.